I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and an ASECT certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Playing the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. This show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Me too. (laughs) Welcome to the next chapter of Plan Stage. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, this is weird. I just realized it would be really weird to be having a conversation with you and having a conversation with a whole lot of people all at the same time, and I can't see them. I don't know why it's just dawning on me right (laughs) now. Um, I think I was waiting for like everybody else to talk there for just a second. Okay. So they should join in the conversation. Okay. If everyone else could just speak up, speak up, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Please don't turn on your mics. I think we're going to hit a lot of weird roadblocks, not roadblocks, but new realizations as we're doing this. As I've been thinking about what I want to talk about in these opening conversations, I'm like, wow, there are so many possibilities. And then I keep thinking, okay, this is not a four hour podcast. We need to like tone it down. (laughs) We need to get focused. (laughs) Yeah. I think a four hour podcast is a commitment on everybody's part, right? Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta commit. I, I like the idea of it as sort of a, an experience, but Mm you, I think it would be like watching watching a documentary and then I can't pull myself away. And when it's like a really like a six hour long thing, like a David Attenborough thing, like you can't eat it all at once. Yeah. I think I'd have trouble. Yeah, me too. Although some of my favorite podcasts are really long and I just break it up into as many listening sessions as it takes. And sometimes it's kind of fun to wake up and go, oh, I still have 10 minutes left of that conversation that I was really enjoying. So that is kind of fun. So maybe over time, our podcast will get a little longer. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But right now we'll, we'll stay focused. I'm I'm very excited for today's episode because I got to interview someone who I really admire and it was scary, exciting, just (laughs) mind-blowing. So many emotions were happening during that interview. And I had asked you, Jolie, if I could interview today's guest by myself because I had read her book over the summer and it meant so much to me. And I just really wanted to have that conversation one-on-one, which you were cool with, but you did get a chance to listen to it before we're talking today. So we're going to chat about some of the takeaways and things that we got from that interview before we jump into that. But before we get to all of that, I would love to, um, I mean, we have so much stuff to talk about. We do. (laughs) I mean, there's always so much to talk about. There is. And one of the things is the reactions to last week's episode about femininity. I still can't say that word. (laughs) No, no, no. We can't, we have to, I can't spell it. Femininity. I spell it, spell it like Mississippi. I-N-N-I-N-N-I-N-N. Yeah, it goes on forever. I think I misspell it every single time. And it's, I guess it's just how it's going to be. So um, I was 
I got, I got a text from a listener who was who who listened to the femininity episode when I was still feeling like, did I really want to say all of that? <laughs> a little raw, maybe a little raw, a little sweaty. And uh, she said, I'm loving this episode. This is so it's eye-opening to me and it's also relating so much to me I always felt like an alien and one of the things she said is all awake and aware people feel a little bit like aliens I think cool people are all a bunch of weirdos perfection and normalcy are and then she put the pukey face emoji so (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the that's the right reaction to the words perfection and normalcy I mean it's baked in just the idea of perfection it's it's nonsense. It's yes. nonsense. It hurts everyone. It's rooted in white supremacy. It's just gnarly. There's nothing good about it. But it's hard to take us take ourselves back out of it. So I think what you did was really the only thing I've ever seen work. You just decided to try something different and jumped in. And you did it with like full vigor. You know, like I'm just I'm not gonna just dip my toe in. I'm gonna go into a subject that really causes me to get fired up. And because of that, you're you're all in and you can't try to be perfect and you can't try to fit into the norms. It, you just have to be yourself, which means we're going to make mistakes and stuff. But that's great. Yeah, definitely. And I want to in. I want to invite other people to send reactions to episodes to me that we could so we can share them on upcoming shows because we're going to have more of a conversational tone and we'll be exploring these topics beyond the interview. So including your voice, like Jolie had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like we're talking to a whole bunch of people yeah. to bring your voice into the conversation would be really nice. So you can email your reactions to me, Angela at speakersisterhood.com. We might also do a live clubhouse about these different subjects and and you can also like slide into my DMs, whatever's easiest for you. Would love to just hear your thoughts on what we're sharing because we're tackling some subjects that are <laughs> big and scary yeah. and on everyone's minds, I think, in different ways. So hopefully we can add your voice to that conversation. So let's uh, let's pivot from things that are big and scary to things that are bringing joy right now. I don't know about you, but I've been looking all over the place for things that make me feel good. I think there's such an abundance of fear and anxiety and just confusing situations going on in the world. And I don't know. I'm just like, what can I do? I'm just grasping at anything that makes me feel joy. And I thought we could maybe spend a few minutes sharing what's bringing us joy right now and go back and forth. So Jolie, is there one thing you want to share to start us off? So I'm going to go right for something obvious to me that I didn't know I need entered my life this week. I got a a new pillow and I just slept two nights in a row. Like I slept from when I went to bed at like 1030. I slept till five. I have not ever done that. Like since I was seven. So I slept all the way through the night. Like I'm like a a baby with a full night's sleep. It's amazing. (laughs) So I like, I found my miracle pillow and I'm so excited. And I've always, I've experimented with tons of things, but I like, I finally found one that worked. And so it's literally bringing me joy because I'm more rested. Yesterday I woke up and I was actually awake. It's like a miracle. Anything, it is a miracle. I mean, a good night's sleep does make such a big difference. Is there something special about the pillow that we should know about? I'm a side sleeper and it's called the pillow cube. So it's like, it's like totally like 
like it has edges. It looks like, well, mine's longer. So it's a pillow rectangle. It's really a rectangular prism pillow. Um, they should rename it, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's what you call that when it's not a, when it's not a perfect square, but, um, yeah, so it's just, it's meant to like fill in the shape of a side sleeper and I cannot sleep on my stomach or my back. So yeah, it was amazing. And I was like scared. I'm like, I got my hopes up, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to get my hopes up, but wow. I like literally, I, I was so excited about it yesterday morning. I could heart, I like, I didn't even tell my husband that I'd slept through the night because I was like too nervous to jinx it. <laughs> what, if, what if it's not real? Yeah. Better keep that to so yourself. That- yeah. <laughs> okay. So you tested a second night and now, or, or you know, you can talk now about I'm, it. Now I'm there. Open. I'm like, okay, yeah. two nights in a row. I, I'm, I'm here for it. That was awesome. What about you? What's bringing you joy? Uh, one thing that I'm really enjoying that's been sort of surprising is an Instagram live that happens every Friday at 5 p.m. It, it was less consistent. Now it seems to be happening every Friday and it's through Clinton Kelly's Instagram page. If you're not familiar with Clinton Kelly, he was one of the hosts of What Not to Wear on TLC that was on in the 90s, early 2000s. I used to love that show, watched it all the time. And He's been on other things since then, but that was really where I got introduced to him. So I've been following on Instagram for a while. And he's, he does this thing called Happy Half Hours or H-Cubed. And he he's at his house in Connecticut and his husband is holding the camera. And he just does different, different things throughout the half hour, like making a cocktail. He makes food. He dances and sings. He answers listener or fan questions. And he tells stories about his life. And sometimes he just talks about interesting things in his house. But he is so um, naturally funny and he's so such an entertainer and he's just like he's just himself through the whole thing. And there's a part of me that feels badly for him when he was on What Not to Wear because it's so clear now that he didn't get to show his full personality on that show. But now on his Instagram channel, he does. And I just look forward to it every week. I don't, I rarely catch it live because that's when I'm usually feeding my son and doing bedtime stuff, but I watch it later and I just crack up the whole time. It's always funny and it's really easy to find him. Just, you know, search for Clinton Kelly on Instagram <laughs> You can watch past happy half hours and it's just silly. He's just a silly person. It's great. I love that. I love, I love the, the release into silliness, especially by people who like you don't necessarily, you haven't necessarily seen it before is extra. It's extra fun. That's really cool. Yeah. What's another thing bringing you joy? Um, okay. I gotta go with Bridgerton. I okay, Bridgerton Netflix series. It's it's a it's one of those historical period. It has like a Downton Abbey kind of feel to it, um, but it also has so it has a a, a, a whole theme of black aristocracy in set in this nineteenth century or eighteenth century um, aristocracy. I, Ken and I binged the whole thing in like a day and a half. And it's so shady and so like it has that dramatic soap opera-iness that like some part of me thinks I should like be have outgrown. And I think that's why it brings me joy. Cause I'm like, it's it feels like when I was a little girl and I would watch my grandmother read romance novels, like I it feels like that. Like, what's she getting out of that? Like I would pick up those books and read through them and be like, I don't, I don't get it. But and they nailed the sex scenes 
um, with the exception of the fact that, oh my God, there's no consent anywhere. But you have to, <laughs> like, minor, minor you have to, yeah, you do have to like think about it as uh, drama, not, not, it's it, like porn. It is not sex education. It's not relationship education, but it's super shady and, and has that like pride and prejudice vibe. And it's, yeah, it's adorable. All right. So it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So okay. what about you? What else is going on? There must be more joy than just, yeah. <laughs> just Instagram, but I want to know. Well, I'd say my next pick is a little less um, highbrow, even though what you're just explaining doesn't sound like the highest of the brow. This is definitely uh, lower on the list. It's America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> I think you're right to take it out of the highbrow category. However, <laughs> it seems like it's it's very important to you. It is. I I stopped watching that show for a long time. And then maybe a couple of years ago, I just happened to see it was on and I put it on. I I couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, this show, <laughs> it's it's the you know precursor of YouTube. So if you like watching dogs do crazy things and kids say wild things and people doing weird tricks it's pretty good. And so I've been watching it lately. I've been DVRing it and watching it. And I actually submitted two videos of my son a couple months ago. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> I like it. I like that you, you not only like you, you're a participating part of the show, like you're yeah. part of the, so somebody out there is watching the adorableness that I have seen of Max and just like there, like, yeah, like yeah. they're watching they're seeing and yeah. also seeing how adorable he is and how funny he is because mm -hmm. the kid's a comic genius already. He is. And I want to put a plug in for AFV because it's something that requires no thinking. It, you can watch five minutes of it or the whole program and you'll find joy in something. And it's just so simple. And it's like, it's kind of nice to watch other people's families in action, especially when you're trapped in your own home and you're not really able to interact with other people very much. Right. You just kind of get to get a glimpse into other people's lives and worlds and the funny things that go on. And in some way I'm finding comfort and joy in that too. So yeah, give it a try. At times I... At times I've thought I should wear a GoPro camera because the way my house is with all of these weirdos living here, um, you know, I have all these children. Um, and so I never know when the funny moments are going to happen, but oh my goodness when they do. So I think that that's what I would say is bringing me joy is at any given moment, there might be raucous laughter. There could be complete silence because everybody might be on their devices um, or, you know, j just doing their own thing or doing calculus homework. Who knows? Or there could be a pile of children. They're not children, really. They're, they're definitely teenagers. Um, just piled up in the living room. And all of a sudden there's this explosive noise. It just like pops out of everywhere because they're all laughing and and fighting and it turns into like fighting like it's like play fighting like they're they're roasting each other and it's just hysterical and it has nothing to do with me and so for years I've been like the funny person in the house but now they're all these grown people and they're hysterical and I feel really lucky to get to have this like house full of boisterous joy that I mean like right now, currently, it has turned into um, like Ken. Uh, so my husband and my oldest son are locked in a prank battle because 
um, Torin leaves a cup of water on a particular counter every day. And Ken told him not to. And so now it has turned into a battle. There are cups being left everywhere. All of the cups are now gone. And there's only a gold goblet for Torin to drink out of. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's awesome. And so I feel really lucky to get to live in a crowd. Um, I know it's not for everybody, but I feel lucky about it. <laughs> it almost sounds like you live at a summer camp, you know. There's yeah, a lot <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. And you never know what's going to happen. Yesterday, Reese was like, I'm just dying to clean the shower. Do you mind if I just like soak the shower head in vinegar? And I'm like, you're a 16 year old girl. And yeah, absolutely. You go ahead and do that. And I don't know what this life is anymore. (laughs) So yeah, it is. It is like living at summer camp. It's confusing. Yeah. Well, the last thing I'm going to share is one that is a new joy in my life. It's new as of next, of last year. It's a surprising one. It's one that I've shared with you several times, and the joy continues. <laughs> I am in love with my vacuum. <laughs> oh, the vacuum. This is, this is an unexpected love affair. I never thought this would happen. But last year, I decided it was time to buy a new vacuum because my old vacuum's handle snapped off one day when I was vacuuming under the couch. So I've been vacuuming without a handle. That's a, a tragic handle. death. It is tragic. And when you're six feet tall and you don't have a handle on your vacuum, you're basically just bent over, like holding the bag, <laughs> like trying to push it around. And I did that for a little while because... Let's face it, I didn't really care that much about vacuuming. I didn't have a kid then. It wasn't a big deal. And then all of a sudden I was vacuuming more often because, you know, baby eats everything off the floor. Yeah. So I got a new vacuum and it's it doesn't have a bag. It just has that clear cylinder that everything goes into. It is so satisfying to stare into that clear cylinder after I vacuum a couple rugs. It never gets old. Like I'm like, oh my God, how long has it been since the last time I vacuumed? I need to vacuum right now because I'm going to be able to check out what comes up into, into the cylinder. <laughs> I, I love everything about this. Like you swiped right on your vacuum and it was a match. It was, it, just, it was just a match up for the ages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. My, yeah, it is. It's really nice. And my mom has moved in temporarily and she said to me the other night, Hey, I have a vacuum we could leave on the second floor so we don't have to carry yours up and down, up and down the stairs. I was like, Mom, whoa, whoa, we're not using your vacuum. <laughs> like, I'm using this is my very vacuum. important. <laughs> I don't think you understand what you just brought into play here. So, it's like, like she offered to like have an extra, an extra person. So that you wouldn't have to, like, you could have an upstairs husband and a downstairs husband or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> like no, 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 no. We're just, I'm going for unity here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you actually, do you feel like you're, like, you met, do you measure it? Is it like metric? Do you like the, the volume of what you're collecting? Or is it just the curiosity of like getting it done, the satisfying feeling of getting it done? Yeah. It's the satisfying feeling of getting it done and being able to see the fruits of my labor in the yeah just what's in there and I'm always shocked always especially because I don't wear my shoes in the house anymore so I'm completely blown away by how much is in there (laughs) it's like where did all this come from yeah so I I get that like where does it come from it's it's gross and miraculous how much dirt there is yeah it is yeah so I don't know if anyone else can relate but maybe just take some time to enjoy all of your cleaning products and maybe you'll find some joy in there all right, let's move on. We're going to keep talking about joy in upcoming episodes too. So if anyone wants to share things that are bringing them joy, feel free to also email me about that and we can add it to our list to share. Uh, so on our interview, oh, did you? Okay, yeah, share. I was share. just like, oh, look, no, just joy is here. She's just here. This is just my reminder because the world's on fire, but you know, still joy. Yeah, it's fun. So 
I may not get to put this on YouTube right away. So we'll just, I'll just tell everyone what you're holding up. It's oh. the figurine of joy from what inside out from, from inside movie, out. Inside yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And just pure joy. <laughs> you just keep her on your desk to, as a reminder or she, I do. I keep yeah. her on my desk as a reminder. I have all the figurines um, from that movie. Um, and I keep her close by because, because I struggle with joy. I do have a bit of a tendency to look into the darkness. I and I and I like it. That actually it is perversely joyful for me. Um and and I don't believe that it's it's not masochistic. It's I really do get joy out of looking at what seems on the surface to be dark. Um, however, I also like my overalls and I like to be have fun and I can lose sight. I can get like lost in that that mirror of darkness. Mm-hmm. So she's my reminder. Yeah, that makes sense then to have that there. All right, we're gonna talk about something that came from today's interview with Elizabeth Lesser. When I was reading her book, Broken Open, she talked about how much she loves quotes and she loves having them around to remind her and inspire her of, you know, different mindsets and different ways of approaching life from great authors and thinkers and artists from history. And so in today's episode, I asked her to access that basket, the quote basket, and asked her to pull out a quote. And it was actually so perfectly timed in the interview because of the quote she pulled and how it applied to what we were talking about. So I, when I was talking to Jolie about this after, um, we kind of decided you know, it'd be cool if we each had our own quote bucket or basket. And then you told me about another kind of basket. Do you want to share which what, what that is? So I, <laughs> excuse me, I had heard about um, a fuck it bucket. Yeah. And I think I first heard about it a while ago, but I don't know who, but the person who brought it to back up to the, it bubbled up to the top um, was Crystal Farley on the Grace and Growth podcast um, was talking about the fuck it bucket and just talking about like, okay, throw everything in there that is, it doesn't need to like ruin your life. It's like, it's happening and you're going to let it, you're going to actually let it go. This doesn't need to be like overwhelming. Just let it go. And I started, I did what you did, started throwing stuff in there, um, into a container. And it is fascinating to me how, how much, my soul responds to my body writing something down and actively putting it in there rather than just telling myself, let it go or oh, whatever, or in the great spirit of fuck it, as Pam Victor would say, <laughs> like, yeah. like, right. It's, it's better like writing it down and, and activating that part of me. And then it's different. It's more. So I'm liking this. Yeah, me too. After I made my fuck it bucket, which, which was basically just a process of walking around the house and looking for a bucket that I wasn't using. <laughs> And then writing fuck it bucket on the side. Um, And I used a a big, a large vase for my quote basket or my quote container. Once I did that, then I sat down and I I made a list of all the things that I wanted to go in the fuck it bucket. And then I cut them all up into strips and then I put them in there. And then I tried to think of quotes that over time I've really been inspired by that I just wanted to like start out with. So I threw all those in there. And after doing those activities, it felt like, I just felt lighter around the, the fuck it bucket stuff. Like, yeah, I don't have to carry that with me anymore. It's over there now. It's not part of me anymore. I yeah. thought that was really cool. And to just like create um, a habit of letting things go and leaving them there feels pretty healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a little teeny mini ritual to just drop into the day. And I've done stuff where I've like written something down and burned it or 
whatever, but this is, this is really simple. I can literally do it anytime. Like it's right there. I can just release. It's awesome. Like you want to take pictures of yours and I'll take pictures of mine and we can I will. put them on the, the blog. Okay, cool. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we'll share them on Instagram too. So you want to share a quote from your quote bucket? I will. Yeah. Mine, I'm right now I'm using my, um, I'm using this box from one of my tarot decks. Oh yeah. Cause it's empty. Cause I use the cards all the time. It's so I'm really loving it, but I know I'll fill it too fast. So it won't be my permanent vehicle. Um, okay. This is from a book called Pregnant Darkness by Monica Wickman, which doesn't quite go with the joy thing, but I think maybe it does, actually. We'll find the joy in it. Um, We can become lost in our own inner deserts without water or contact with the divine if we stray for long from the path of the heart. Mm. Can you read that again? That was dense. Yeah. We can become lost in our own inner deserts without water or contact with the divine if we stray for long from the path of the heart. Mm. That's a great reminder. Yeah. And the path of the heart such a broad idea. Like, what does that mean? It's, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. I like that. Cool. I do too. Yeah, that's good. I uh, I pulled a quote out earlier, which actually was funny because it was a quote from Elizabeth's book, Broken Open. Oh. I wrote <laughs> I wrote a bunch of quotes down while I was reading it, and I was hanging them all over my bathroom mirror, and now I've put some in the quote basket. So here is her quote. The answer to every problem is already wrapped in the problem itself. Stop resisting, open wide to reality, and decode the message. Mm. Such a different way of looking at a challenge. Okay. (laughs) The answer to every problem is already wrapped in the problem itself. Stop resisting, open wide to reality, and decode the message. I'm loving how she's opening wide to reality, not to something. um, I love magic. I love the whole concept of magic, but opening wide to reality is, it's always available every second. Yeah. Even though it can feel harsh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I I love that it's not about fixing. It's not like, oh, that's broken. So now you have to fix it. It's like, no, there's just just be in it and just look at it differently. Just allow yourself to see it from a different perspective because there's something of value there the way it exists right now. And that is yeah. very comforting instead of always having that mindset of like something's wrong, something's broken, something's not going well. Why is everything so hard? It's like, nope. <laughs> There's information there for you. Yeah. All right. You want to pull something from your fuck it bucket? Yes, I will. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. So I wrote this one down on a sticky note, and I thought that that might keep me from having to pick it up, but uh, it did not. Okay. In my fuck it bucket is working harder for other people than for myself. Oh, rich. That is rich. Yeah. And that, that comes up in my life all over the place, including when I'm working with clients one-to-one, like you can't work harder on someone else's problem than they're working or with my kids or any. Yeah. And then of course in my career. So that's a lot to let go of. Mm Going to need a big bucket for that. (laughs) (laughs) We should have different size buckets. (laughs) Bucket. Okay. I go in your office like, Julie, why do you have 17 bucket buckets in here? Yeah. (laughs) It's like the whole wall. Yeah. 
a lot. Sorry. Oh, I could get a, a fuck it trash, trash compactor, like from the eighties. <laughs> we had those trash compactors in our houses. Oh yeah. My God. I need to hit the chimes. <laughs> hit the chimes. And bring time back in for the fuck it trash compactor. Yes. <laughs> Gotta make room. See, did you ever see Mannequin, the movie from the 80s? Yes. Oh you my know? gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know when the mannequin's going up that conveyor belt and he has yes. to save her? I think that could, you could put your little slip of paper on the conveyor belt and watch it go I and like that. Demolished in the. In I had completely is. forgotten about that movie. Okay, so that's a source of joy. Oh my gosh. 80s campy movies, man. Oof. Oh, I watched that movie so I think every weekend for like five years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Switcher. Okay. So I, one thing from my fuck it bucket was I pulled it out earlier because I wanted to at least be somewhat organized because I have like 600 notes in front of me right now was getting overly involved in my family's problems. Huh. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's a tough one because there's all kinds of stories about you have to take care of your family, you have to be there for your family, and also just stories I have about being the protector of others and getting just too wrapped up in solving problems for other people that aren't my own and wanting to let go of that because it requires so much energy, especially when the other person is resistant to your advice or resistant to doing what you would do in that situation. So releasing that uh, belief or expectation on myself has felt really good. Yeah. I think that's huge. It's huge. Yeah. It's a lot. It's an old one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to shake it off. We just do a little shake, a little little shoulder shake. (laughs) I'm going to give myself a chance. Okay. Yeah, you definitely should get a chime for that. I got to get some chimes in here, man. This is yeah. this. <laughs> get them in here. That's a business expense, by the way. <laughs> yes, that's a total write-off. Of course it is. Of course. All right. Uh, before we jump into the interview, just a couple more things. One thing I want to ask you about is what you're working on right now. And I know there's a lot but I don't know exactly what, because we've been both in our own little caves kind of toiling away on stuff. So give me a quick update on what's going on over there. So I have, I've been in the cave. I'm working on, I'm, I'm transitioning. Um, I'm transitioning how I'm working with people because I really like to get right to the heart of trouble. And so in one of the previous ways I would work with people, I would take this long arc approach where we would like start working with people's relationship issues and we'd like stay in the process for many, many, many years. And it's effective, but it's a long process. And especially the first like three to six months is really frustrating. And um, like you can feel like you're getting nowhere. And so I lose people in that first three to six months because they feel like nothing's happening. So I'm reinventing my offering and, and in doing so, I'm actually codifying exactly what it is I'm doing with people when we're digging up their their relationship issues and and all the stuff that's holding them back from having the love that they want and I'm I'm codifying it and systematizing it so that we can work through that stuff in a day like let's get all our cards on the table and it's been great for me to actually see that the system exists but it exists in my head and now it's outside of my head and it's not just what's in the book it's also the stuff that goes way deeper than that the stuff that you really need somebody else to say Hey, now we're going to look over here. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited. I've been making, it's all spreadsheet, spreadsheet, spreadsheet right now. So it's, it, it feels like I'm lost in the weeds, but it's pretty exciting. So. Yeah. I, I mean, that is, you're taking like 
10, 20 years of knowledge and boiling it down to things that people who haven't spent that amount of time working on it can understand in a few hours. That's quite the process you're in, invested in right now. And I think it's beautiful. It's so important. And, I'm, and I hope it's showing you just how much you know about this, all of this work and how much other people need it. Thinking about your, your, you taught me better than anybody else not to overstuff the burrito. And so I, I hear your voice telling me all the time not to overstuff the burrito. Order to, to not overstuff the burrito is, is so, that is, it is like a, a huge boost to my self-concept. Like, oh, everything that's in those books and those books and those books and all of that, they all became part of how I work with people. And that can't be replicated. Like somebody else could read all the same books and it can't be replicated. It's It's been really magic as I'm thinking about, okay, yeah, I got to so take this out and take this out and take this out and distill and be able to make these things digestible and, and bite-sized. So I feel, I feel pretty smart right now. And that's not, <laughs> like, I don't always. A lot of times I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm nowhere. I'm nowhere in my own work. But yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now. You should. Awesome. You have Thanks. so much to offer. I can't wait till we do our Q&A episodes and have people write in with questions about all the things you're really experienced in so we can bring some more of that knowledge to the show. Because, I mean, I can't think of a single question I've asked you that you haven't been able to help me with. I used to be uh, on the on the reference desk uh, Rolodex. So... <laughs> <laughs> at one of the colleges I went to. Um, yeah, I, I'm a knowledge collector. So, and I like that. Yeah. But you have also been working your butt off and resting really well. So I am, let me say, I am so impressed at watching you this year versus last year, watching you like transition. There's so much, or I guess it was the year before last year. Um, watching you like work now is so different. You're You're making space for your rest, which is so, so awesome to see but I know you stuff like wildfire right now so what are you working on yeah when I'm not watching a rom-com like you've got mail which you told me about I don't know why I never watched that movie but uh yesterday I did and it's great and uh when I'm not doing that I, I have so much going on right now and it feels better than ever because I actually feel quite focused and I have this narrow path I'm walking down of really clear projects and goals. And I'm letting go of all the clutter, which is so different for me because I used to be so um, ADD about stuff. I'd be like, oh, there's a shiny object. I'll be going to run after that and then come back and then, oh, another shiny object. And then it was a, it was sort of like, it, there was a lot of experimentation going on, which is important when you start a business. But at the point I'm at now in year four of Speaker Sisterhood, it's like, let's get focused. <laughs> let's rein it in over here. So um, right now I'm doing a club leader training. I'm training for new club leaders and I'm going to be launching my own club in February. So that's really, really, really exciting and brings so much joy to me right now to help expand our organization and bring this to more women. And I'm also working on a new self-assessment called, Are You Ready to Speak Up and Be Heard? And it's a free assessment on the website that will then lead you to a mini course that will help you kind of just get, get yourself prepped and ready to speak. And it's like such a no-brainer and something I wish I had built so much, <laughs> such a long time ago. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, this would have been so helpful, like when we were first starting. But anyway, that's not really. But that's perfect. how that works. 
That's totally how that works. You know that it's so helpful because you've done all of this. Yes. I, that's, that's, true. that's exactly where I'm at. Like, oh, I wish I had been more, you know, more clear and more, yeah. yeah. And the clarity <laughs> comes with the experience. So I true. hate that it's true that like middle-aged women have so freaking much to offer. And what I mean by hating it is I thought I had like the most to offer when I was in my 20s, which means I wasted time in my 20s that I could have just been gathering experience and like waiting for this awesome time when I'm filled with experience instead of thinking I had to know everything back then. But I actually know stuff now. You do. Like we have so much experience. You know so much, not just about public speaking, but about speaking up. That's a huge, huge topic. It's enormous. Yeah. And we have a lot more to say about it this year. (laughs) Um, Which brings us to our next topic. Uh, Elizabeth Lesser, when I originally asked her to come on today's show, I wanted to talk about her book, Broken Open. But we ended up spending about half of the episode talking about her newer book called Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes, which makes a lot of sense because that's what we're really focused on on this show. So I'm excited to bring this this interview to you. And since I got to learn more about the book in the interview, and then you got to learn more about the book in the interview, we have both purchased the book and have started reading the book. And it really delivers. I mean, and it delivers in a way where every time I read a page, I have to put it down because I'm full of rage. And it... <laughs> I had to put a content warning on it for myself. Yeah. Do not read this before bed. You will not sleep all night. I have to read it in the morning. (laughs) I have to not read it before I try to have a conversation with my husband about anything that he's frustrating me about because I'm like, I I will lose my effing mind. I'm just going to lose it. I'm just going (laughs) to lose it because the patriarchy sucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so that's not a productive way to enter into like, important conversations. Um, so I'm having to, yeah, content warning, (laughs) but it's such an important book. It is such an important book. Yeah. And we're starting to run late. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Unless there's anything in particular that you've read so far in the book that you're like dying to talk about right now. All I would say is that it's worth reading because it's reminding me of things that frustrated me throughout my whole life. And now I think I'm actually in a better place to work with those ideas. So right now it feels like rage, but I'm, I feel the tentative like shift of like, oh, how do I take action so that I leave this world better for my daughters? So I leave this in in a better place. So I feel like it's a, it's going to be a good book to inspire me to act, act on the changes that I knew I wanted to make 20 years ago, but I've sort of lost sight of because I have a lot of privilege and I don't have to look at it all the time. So yeah, super awesome. And yeah. Oh, I lost you for a second. What was the oh, last thing you said? I just said, and Elizabeth's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah, like amazing. I'm super, super jazzed about just hearing her voice and listening to her talk about her own work. Me too. And we're going to continue talking about this book in future episodes because there is so much that she uncovers that is in alignment with what we're talking about here on the show. So I'll, I'll just, 
um, let you know a little bit more about Elizabeth, and then we'll talk about what's coming up on the next episode, and then we'll jump into the interview. So Elizabeth Lesser is the author of several best-selling books, including Cassandra Speaks, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow, and Marrow, Love, Loss, and What Matters Most. She's the co-founder of Omega Institute, recognized internationally for its workshops and conferences in wellness, spirituality, creativity, and social change. She has given two popular TED Talks and is one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, a collection of 100 leaders who are using their voices and talent to elevate humanity. I would say that's accurate. (laughs) Is there a takeaway that you want to share from the interview? My favorite takeaway was listening to Elizabeth um, talk about being, this isn't too related, but talk about um, whether, whether you can be bored. If you like, if you're engaged, like, how could you be bored? It was a simple little moment and exchange between the two of you. But um, it reminded me that when I watch my children be bored, that's a good thing. And when I and because they're they're going to learn how to reengage themselves. And yeah, just a simple little thing. I mean, there was so much more to it about all the other stuff, but that would go on forever. We'll have to talk about that again. Yeah. We'll talk about it next time, I think. Um, so next episode, we are going to be doing a challenge. Yes. Do you want to tell us about it? Okay. Let's just, we're going to, okay, we said we wanted to bring joy. So let's do a pleasure challenge. So I've been I've been sketching out what a pleasure challenge could look like. Um, so I'm a sex educator. So the obvious conclusion people jump to when I say let's do a pleasure challenge is people start thinking about sex. That's like the, the next leap that they make. But- Pleasure is so much bigger than that. Pleasure is, and pleasure is really, really um, difficult to access when we're caught up in um, in the world being on fire, right? Like we we forget that we can have both and. So yeah, we're going to structure up a challenge for everybody to participate in that's going to be accessible. Like you're going to make it for yourself as we go. It's going to be doable and, you know, not take up a ton of your time. And I'm super excited because we're going to engage all your senses and make this um, make pleasure a practice that you carry in your life rather than make it a treat or something that you do just, you know, on your weekends. Wow. A practice instead of a treat. That sounds yes. perfect. Yeah, I'm excited for this. <laughs> so that will be coming up next week. And for now, we'll leave you with, um, with all that. I mean, we just, <laughs> with all that stuff, we just cover, um, and we'll see you then. So without further ado, here's my interview with Elizabeth Lesser. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is a huge honor. I originally heard you on Amanda Palmer's podcast maybe six months ago. And before the interview was even over, I was already ordering your book, Broken Open, because you mentioned that it had to do with your divorce and being a mother and dealing with the loss of your father. And I thought, oh, I'm just dealing with all of those same exact things. I think she may have something to say that would relate to my situation. And you had so much more to say that every page just touched me in a different way. And you're such a beautiful writer. And when I finished the book, I thought I would love to have her on the podcast. And then my next thought was, that sounds way too scary, but I'm going to ask her anyway. So (laughs) what what would be be scary about it? Because you do a lot of interviews, and I fear that I'm going to ask you the same questions that you get all the time, and you're going to be bored. 
That's what comes up. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, I like that better than, oh, you've done so much, you know, Oprah, things like that. Like, (laughs) that's that's a valid thing. But I promise you, I won't be bored, mostly because. Uh, you've probably noticed this as an interviewer. There's really only a few things people care about. And we just talk about the same things over and over. It's so. true. It's true. And I'm also going to let myself off the hook in case you are bored, because there's really nothing wrong with being bored. It's it's actually fine. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, I I don't know if I've ever been bored in my life. So that's true. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> um. All right. So I thought we could start with you maybe giving an overview of what Broken Open is about, because I'd love to hear it from 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 you instead of trying to summarize it myself. Well, you know, first of all, what's so amazing is I wrote that book more than 15 years ago. So I'm I'm it still sells so well and people still really want to talk about it. And um, I've written two books since then, but but broken open is like I guess it's I guess it's my my book. I guess it's the thing I did in this lifetime. And so I find that interesting because I've written about lots of other subjects, you know, feminism and loss and death and the influx of Eastern spiritual traditions into America. Like I've written quite a few things. But this thing, which is about how difficulty is sort of written into the job description of being human, like we're all going to go through shit. We're going to go through it. No one is going to escape that. And so if that's what happens, A, how can we use it to grow? And B, why weren't we told this? Yeah. <laughs> why is a lot of schooling about children? This is going to happen. And this is what we do as humans. This is how we don't have to keep repeating the mistakes over and over. So collectively, we never learn how to jump over that chasm of reactivity to difficulty and instead become wise. Like, why don't we teach kids the wisdom of, of using difficult times. So the book is about both of those things, you know, how difficult things came into my own life, what I did, what I didn't do, mistakes made, wisdom gained, and also like a, a meta view of wouldn't it be grand if we all took this more seriously, this idea that difficult times can teach us how to be better humans. Absolutely. And I read somewhere, I think it was in the book, that you originally planned on telling other people's stories and then using those as as examples and lessons. And then at some point you realized, I think I have to tell my own story. What was that moment like for you? And how did you decide what to share in the book versus what was your own personal writing for yourself? Well, I always, I like to say that the book made me do it. The book made me tell my story and tell parts of it I didn't want to, parts that I was ashamed of and parts that might make other people in my life upset. And um, of course, I had to put some boundaries up. I didn't tell everything, especially about other people, because that wasn't mine to tell. But um, one of the 
main premises of the book is that we do each other grave disservices when we pretend that we have it more together than we do. Someone says, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Everything's great. And then you feel like, oh, I wonder why my life isn't great. Meanwhile, the other person's life isn't that great. It's just regular. It's great and it's not great. But we all put on these facades and do each other the disservice that leads to lack of intimacy and and lack of truth-telling and shame and blame. And so as I'm writing about the power of telling the truth of your story, I realize I'm not telling the truth of my own story in this book. Who cares if I'm talking about someone else? I know when I read a book, I want to know, yeah, but what about you, author? What happened to you? Yeah. We want to know that. So I felt I had to do it. Well, this whole podcast is about showing up and telling the truth. I mean, the women who listen to this show are speakers, they're authors, they're interested in in building confidence in their voice so that they can share a message with the world. And I wonder if there's a process you go through in deciding which stories you want to tell and which stories are to be in your own personal journal. Because I know one of the biggest fears I hear from my, my clients and members of Speaker Sisterhood is... I don't want to be the oversharer on stage who's going way too personal. And how do I know if the story I'm telling is is in service to the audience or if it's me just like doing a therapy session in front of people? Do you ever Mm -hmm. think about that and which ones are kind of ready to be heard? All the time. I think about it and I succeed and fail on the page all the time. I think I've gotten better at having an answer to that practically unanswerable question. <laughs> uh, different audiences, you know, like like if I'm asked to speak, I, I'm speak, talking about speaking now and not writing. But uh, my first question always is, who's the audience? Because to what one crowd would be, Truth telling, another would be oversharing. So you gotta you gotta know who you're talking to. The word um, oversharing, this gets into the subject of my new book, Cassandra Speaks. When yeah. women are storytellers, the human story changes. That's my new book. And I have one whole chapter where I talk about how much I hate the word oversharing because. We don't even ever talk about undersharing, which yeah. to me is a much worse crime than oversharing. Um, women have always been uh, chided and shamed for oversharing. You know, we talk too much. We tell too much of what's on our heart. You know, strong and silent types are like the heroes. Whereas to me, women's desire to share the heart, to tell what's on the heart, I think is is a superpower and a noble urge and needs to be um, dignified and not called oversharing. So much of what we say is oversharing to me is um, uh, like 
a blessing, a superpower, as I said. Like we should lose our shame at talking so much and telling people what we feel and what we think. Oh yeah, that happened to me. And to me, that's a beautiful skill that women have. So to answer your question, I would say, go quiet for a moment and say, why am I so afraid that maybe I'll be oversharing? What's that about? Whose voice is telling me not to say what's on my heart? Now, it's a fine line between being an egomaniac who just wants to tell your story ad nauseum constantly so people look at me, me, me. So, you know, do a little work on why am I telling this story? Am I telling it so people see how cool I am? Or am I telling it so people love themselves more? So they see in me a mirror of their own struggle. Is this in service of my ego or is this in service of other people's self-love? That's a good question to lightly sprinkle all the time. Yeah, the intention is where it's at. And I think as you're explaining oversharing a little bit more, it seems like that's the patriarchy trying to silence us. You know, it's another version of that and us taking that I to heart. I do agree. Yeah. Yes. Um, one of the things that you also talk about is having a basket of quotes on your desk that you you go to every day. Do you have the basket there? You do? Oh, my gosh. Can we pick one as our co-pilot for our interview? Yes. Oh, my God. This is so idea. exciting. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, here's the one I picked. Oh, my gosh. I'm so nervous. It's from Susan B. Anthony. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she says, cautious, careful people always casting about to preserve their reputations can never affect a reform. What perfect you want me to timing. read it again? Sure. <laughs> Cautious, careful people, oversharing, <laughs> always casting about to preserve their reputations can never affect a reform. I don't think we could have picked a perfect, a more perfect quote for this exact moment in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> wow. I, how many quotes do you have in your basket? Uh, well, you know, I have probably 200. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And there's all different kinds of quotes in there. And I'm always adding to it. I love that. And after, as I was reading your book, I was taking notes and just kind of like writing quotes down and I kept sticking it on the mirror in my bathroom. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'd read it. And it was just so helpful to help with my mindset. And one of the quotes, the, the one that I've read every day, I think since August came from page 231, where you're talking about the turtles. And I want you to share that story in a minute. But the quote that you shared was, like the alchemists who changed metal into gold, I can transform my worry into trust and my despair over dying trees and dead turtles into a bright vision of eternal rebirth. And what that quote meant to me was I was I was very worried all year about the state of my business. I was worried because I ended a relationship with my baby's father and was like, I'm a single mom now. What am I going to do? How am I going to work all this out? And when you talked about changing worry into trust, and despair into a bright vision of eternal rebirth, I thought, okay, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. And I read it over and over again. And it gave me hope and it gave me 
a feeling that I can trust myself to do the right things and that I'll, I'll grow from this. And I think that's kind of, the, you know, one of the big messages in your book. But if you could just share the story about the, the drive you're on and the turtle and, and how yeah. you arrived at this. Yeah, uh, there's a road that goes to where I used to go to work every day. Since COVID, we've had to shut down the retreat and conference center that I co-founded, Omega Institute. It hasn't been open now for more than a year. Um, but the road that that leads to Omega uh, from where I live is this winding country road. And um, in the spring, snapping turtles come out of the muck and cross the street. And there's always all these turtles crossing the street. And I've been a lover of nature and a environmentalist my whole life. I was raised by parents who were into that. So I'm always worried about the earth. You know, I'm always worried about climate change or the ash tree blight that is killing all the trees around where I live in, in upstate New York. And I'm just always worried about nature. And um so that particular day, I was driving on the road. My eyes kept going to the tree canopy where I was. It's, the leaves were filling in. And I was like, oh, no, look at all the trees that are dead this year. So many dead trees. And as I was driving and looking up, I ran over this huge mama snapping turtle crossing crossing the road. And it struck me right then the uh, tragic irony of the situation that as I was worried about nature, I ended up killing this living being, this, this turtle. I know there's more to this story. It was a complicated chapter, but that the gist of it for me was that, especially when I got home and later that I think it was the next morning I woke up and there miles away from where I killed a snapping turtle was a snapping turtle emerging from our pond on our property. And, you know, spring is always so full of life and so full of rebirth, baby deer and shoots of new trees coming up. And I, I really like took in that lesson that our worry and our upset about change and death and destruction gets in the way of our understanding that life goes on. Life even gets better. Life comes out of the muck of our difficulty. If we work with it, if we stay even just a little bit hopeful, that seed of light can transform things. And I think we're seeing that now in our country. Things look so despairing the pandemic, climate change, the political mess that we're in of, of tribalism and practical civil war. And yeah, you can get so despairing about it as you can about stuff in your own life, divorce, loss of a job, especially right now. But on the other side of it, and because of it, because of the breaking down, we can break open. And I think those those messages are around us all the time. And that's such a 
profound and helpful thing for people to hear right now, because I think so many people are stuck in the despair of how different life is today versus a year ago. And I would think your book sold really well last year. Um, Because it was such a lifesaver, I know, at least for me. And one of the things that I love that you said in your book was, I accept now that the point of life is not to reach perfection, but to befriend the fact that human beings are works in progress. And that is such a reassuring and comforting message to hear, especially when I think so many women try to strive for perfection. And it's sort of this unreachable goal that just creates a lot of anxiety and, and fear for no reason. Reason. And I, it also took a lot of pressure off. And so a lot of the, the women who are listening to this show are people who are thought of as experts in their field, their teachers, their coaches, their therapists, and they're people who other people go to for advice. And so they often feel pressure to be perfect and to have it all figured out and to, you know, to project this image of I have all the answers, which obviously they don't. And I wonder how you as an author and someone who has taught work shops and, you know, goes out and speaks, how you're able to balance being someone who has information to share and experiences to share with still not having it all figured out. Is that something that you struggle with? Or does it at this point, do you feel like you kind of got it under control? See, now that's a question that is not boring at all. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Very, that is a living question for me. Um, I, I, whenever I write a book, you know, you're, you're giving over several years to, to mushing with whatever issue the book's about. So I just finished and uh, in September released a, a book about women. And if we say we're going to do power differently, um, can we, will we, just because we're women, how can we, what happens when we begin to get seduced by power. And so like I was living in those questions and the hardest part about writing that book was like, I didn't have all the answers. No one has all the answers to that. The nature nurture question has been like asked and debated for millennia. So, but I was constantly had this task mistress on me, like people are going to think you're you know, you don't know enough. You have to know more. You have to research more. And I would like get caught up in research and the whole imposter syndrome. Who am I? I don't have a PhD in women's studies. And like, uh, and then the other voice, you don't need that. And like just this <laughs> war between my ears. Yeah. And I ended up writing a whole chapter about the imposter syndrome and um, admitting at the start that I have it big time and finding quotes from everyone from Maya Angelou to Mrs. Obama, all of them admitting, like Maya Angelou said before she sat down to write every book and she wrote like 34 of them, she had to grapple with the voice in her head that said, who wants to hear you? You have nothing to say. It's all been said before. So, I think the thing that helps me the most, let's let's call what you were asking the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like that, you know, it's it's a catchphrase for what everyone who's listening knows we're talking about. It in, it infects women more than men. Men have it, but women really have it. 
why do we have this? And that's sort of the thesis of my new book. I'm sorry, I keep talking about the new book. I know you were asking about Broken no, Open. but I want to talk about this book too. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Uh, it, it really asks the question, what is it that happened to women that makes us so reticent to use our voice and to use it in a way with, with dignity and um, strength? Why do we feel we have to be perfect before we can say what's on our mind and heart? What, where does that come from? So I went back into all the old myths, the old stories, all the way back to Adam and Eve and the Cassandra story and other Greek and Roman and literature stories, kind of picking apart how we got to this point where women feel we have to be perfect in mind and body and not overshare, but not talk too much, but but talk some, but like this narrow- not too loud. Not too loud, but now loud enough, like- <laughs> be a good mother, but have a job, you know, like this constantly shifting narrow lane of perfection and the unbelievable freedom what happens when we stop trying to be perfect in body. That's a big one. And in everything we think about ourselves. So do I still struggle with it every day? Am I better than I used to be? You, you, you better hope at 68 years old with a lot of spiritual and psychological work behind me, you better hope I was a little better. And I am, but it's still there. So what did you uncover? What were some of the top reasons you found that led to this level of perfection we're all striving for? Well, going back, let's say, to the story of Eve. Um, you know, there's all these protagonists in the Bible. There's everyone from um, Job to uh, Noah to Jesus. These are the men of the Bible who go on these heroes' journeys. You know, what's the what's the Jungian hero's journey? It's that you want to become wise. You want to become your best self. And you usually have to leave home, come up against the status quo do what you were told not to do, go through a lot of tests, and finally to come home again, your whole self. That's the story of all the men in the Bible. Eve is the only protagonist in the Bible who follows that urge. You know, the snake says, if you eat of that apple in the, of the tree in the middle of the garden, you will become wise like the gods. You will become your whole self. And, and God doesn't want you to do it, but you got to do that if you want to become wise. And Eve wants to become wise, just like all the men had done in the Bible. But she's punished for it. Her curiosity is seen as a sin. Woman was born second, but first to sin. So we carry that sense of like, if you follow your urge to speak and to be yourself, you are a sinner and you will bring down mankind and you will be exiled from the garden and it's your fault. And so much of the structure 
of our culture is based around women being quiet and not following their urge to become their true self. The the Pandora story is she was the first Greek woman. She was sent down to humans. They were all men at the time. It was like a big frat party, uh, happy guys. And they and Zeus sent down Pandora, the first woman, as a punishment to men. And she was told, don't open the lid to the box because there's evil in there. And if you open it, that'll be the end. But she was curious. So she opened it and all the sins came out. And this, this is the story. And I always like to remind people that those stories were written by people, men. They, they were looking for a reason why life was so hard. And so they wanted to blame somebody. So they blamed women. It's weird. It's a weird lineage, but it's something we can change. If those stories, and they've been told throughout history, if you read Western literature, it's just a, a line, a straight line of women being untrustworthy characters. So we have that behind us. It's like a wave that's still pushing at us. And we have to turn around, see it for what it is, a story, and start telling new stories about the power of women and the good power of women and how women can do power differently. I have about 700 follow-up questions. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is I, I'm thinking I should make this required reading before any woman joins Speaker Sisterhood because it's all about showing up and learning how to use your voice. And to have this background information and understand where the programming came from would be a really good starting point. My second comment is when you were researching this book how how full of rage were you on a scale of one to ten and were you chopping trees down in your backyard because I feel like I would be losing my mind piecing all this together <laughs> oh my god I have a section in the book where I I bring forth some of the more rage producing quotes and you're you're you you listen to Amanda Palmer's um you talked about Amanda, and I know Amanda. She lives in my town. We're neighbors. And when she read those quotes, this I cherry-picked these, like, outrageous quotes through the ages about what what is wrong with women and what should be done to women who speak. She, was, she asked the same question, like, did you chop down trees? Um, but, yes. But fortunately, I had just read a couple of great books about women and anger. And, um, <laughs> and anger is a fuel, a fuel we have been denied as women because it is not very classy for a woman to be angry. But anger, if kind of uh, refined into a golden elixir of motivation, is not a bad thing. As long as it doesn't blossom into uh, ret terrible retribution and violence, it can just be this amazing fuel. And uh, it took me such a long time to be okay with my anger uh, and to note that sometimes anger is the most legitimate response to what's going on. Yeah. And to repress it is to get sick and to make poor decisions and to remain trapped. So 
it did make me angry, but I used it. And there was one moment in writing the book when I decided to call the book Cassandra Speaks, when I was watching the televised um, uh, trial of Dr. Larry Nasser, the, the doctor who abused all the gymnasts and athletes. And these girls had for 30 years, hundreds of girls had been telling their truth to their parents, their uh, coaches, their universities, the United States Olympic Committee, they'd been saying what was going on, but they weren't being believed, which is the story of Cassandra. She was given the gift of prophecy, but when she wouldn't have sex with Apollo, he said, oh, I'm gonna get, you can still have the gift of seeing into the future and knowing the truth, but now I'm gonna curse you. No one will believe you. You will tell the truth, but no one will believe you. And I thought, as the rage listening to these girls and these women talk about what happened to them, I was like, they are our Cassandras. They are telling the truth. But the difference here is that the culture's finally listening. So um, I called the book Cassandra Speaks because I think it's this marvelous time now for us to find our voice. And not to find it in a way where we model it on the male voice that has gotten agency, but to find our own voice. And that goes back to this oversharing thing, like not to be ashamed of our emotional intelligence, not to be ashamed of our natural proclivity to connect and relate. And, you know, there's you know, for years, they there all these studies were done in the 40s and 50s on what do humans do under stress? And that's where the fight or flight theory came up. Yeah. But the only people brought into the lab to be tested were men. Hundreds and hundreds of men were, their blood levels were measured. What hormones and chemicals flush into the human system under these stress tests they gave. Oh, men, people either fight or flee, you know, retreat. It was only men. And in 2007, a woman social scientist at UCLA realized, wow, I wonder what happens if women were given the same test. She brought women into the lab and did the same test. And that was not the hormones and chemicals that were released in their bloodstreams. Shelly Taylor is her name. And she titled, she, she came up with the phrase, tend and befriend. Under stress, women usually, not all, but most, have the instinct to tend to the most vulnerable or to befriend. You know, it's like if something bad happens to you, what do you want to do? You want to come home and call like six of your friends, like, yeah. oh my God, this happened. And we're kind of like ashamed of that, like. But what that really is, is we're creating circles of connection. So we don't fight. We, and, we, and we don't flee. We tend and befriend. And that's the voice I want to release in myself. I want to release that part of me that creates circles of connection in the world. Yeah. 
Me too. I mean, that's that's what my business is. And when I first started Speaker Sisterhood, I thought this will be a place for women who want to become professional speakers to practice their keynotes. And and then the women who showed up weren't there to become professional speakers. They were there because their boss belittles them at work and they don't have a voice there. There's a woman who is returning from maternity leave and feels like they have no communication skills because they haven't talked to anybody besides a baby in, in a year. And, <laughs> and I started to learn that these women wanted to be witnessed by other women in, in community to empower themselves and empower each other and be there in support of finding their voice. And instead of feeling shame about what they were thinking and saying, feel grace and feel compassion for themselves and others. And it's been such a beautiful process to witness and, and build because I've never what seen anything else like work. it. What yeah. beautiful work. Good for you. I love it. Thank you. It, it feels like the most important thing I could possibly do on the planet. <laughs> I agree. And thank you. Um, so I want to know with with the revolution you can create through your book, what is your intention for writing it? What do you hope will happen as a result of putting it out there? Cassandra speaks. Um, I guess I would hope Let's just take your circle of women, because um, I think it's different for different people. I'm careful in the book to say across the world and across town, there are some women, if they claim their voice, they could get beat up or fired. or So, so there's levels of safety and um, relevance to finding your voice you know, at different stages. So, but let's say the self-selected women who are listening now, all of you guys who, who have some uh, internal understanding that there are times in your life where it is important to risk losing a relationship or losing a job even so that you can seriously advance yourself and and the culture um, because it's risky to to speak from your own voice and I've done it there's been several moments in my life like swinging doors that I know I'll never be able to walk back through whether it's like ending a relationship or speaking up at work finally because you cannot stand the asshole one more minute and you kind of feel I owe it to my sisterhood to do this. Um, I would hope that for women ready to do that, that it would be not just an impetus to say no more. I'm walking through that door now, but to say it in a way that's kind to yourself and kind to others and sort of as you make your mark you do it in a new way um that that i i teach a meditation at the end of the book that i call do no harm but take no shit so yes. it's that you can have a very soft and kind and loving do no harm heart. That can be your, your actual purpose in life is to do as little harm as possible. But at the same time, you've got this really strong backbone where I am not taking shit. Okay. 
These are not mutually exclusive stances. I am going to be the most gentle warrior I can be, but I am not taking the shit. Can you make a t-shirt that says that? Because I would love to wear that. (laughs) I think a lot of people would buy that (laughs) t-shirt. It really sums up beautifully a way to live. Um, I'm wondering when you're talking about finding your voice, and this is something I think about all the time, and I've been, you know, running my company for four years now and doing this podcast for four years. So it's been on my mind for a long time. And I wonder your perspective. A lot of women say, I want to find my authentic voice. And in in their voice and in finding their voice, they're recognizing, oh, that's not my voice. That's my mother's voice. Oh, that's not my voice. That's my boss's voice. That's my teacher's voice. That's society's voice. Do you have a tool or a way that you can tell the difference between what's your voice and what's the voice that you've been told to have? And I know that's kind of a hard question to answer, but I think about it a lot because sometimes I give a speech and I'm like, how much of that was me? I don't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. The book I wrote before Cassandra is called Marrow. And I was my sister's bone marrow donor. And um, it's the story of the adventure we took to try to save her life. And it's also a book about authenticity because we went into therapy together to see if we could undo some of the stories from childhood we had about each other. Uh, Because once my bone marrow got into her body, her body might um, reject it or my cells might attack her. It was, it's called in the, in the bio, in the, biology and in medicine, it's called um, reject or attack. And we thought, oh man, that's what we've been doing to each other our whole life, either rejecting each other or attacking each other. Let's see if we can clean up our relationship and what, and to see if maybe our cells would get along once my marrow was in her body. And um, what we both discovered in that, uh, process together, doing it together in therapy. Usually therapy is just about you. But to be in a room with a therapist, we were both sort of uncovering the stories we had told about each other and never bothered to uh, confirm or deny the stories with each other. She did this to me. Everything as petty as she wouldn't sit next to me on the bus to why, why is she rejecting me? in a time of my greatest need, like we had never, we had never been honest with each other about this. So we had all these stories in our heads about each other. And that book is all about the stories we have in our head about ourselves. And there's, to me, I know therapy, you know, people make fun of therapy. There's not enough time. Coaching is more like bam, 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 let's figure this out. But for me, I spent a couple of years in weekly therapy with a therapist, drilling into these stories that were my mother's story, my father's story, religious stories, all the stories that are mixed up 
covering this little flame that is myself, my, my, my true voice. And it's not as though the true voice is this solid, firm thing and you discover it and now I know who I am. And it's always a mystery. The true self is a mystery. But at least um, when you quiet the voices of, of all those other characters in our novel called Us, you can listen to that still small mystery voice a lot better. So I, for me, two things have helped. Meditation, which is about quieting all the voices, even my own voice, and just resting in some place that is beyond the stories and seeing what comes up. Sitting in a state of openness is what meditation is for me. And then the other is therapy. Talk therapy? Yeah, talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Therapist, really good therapist who challenges you and uh, pushes you and, and helps you break through. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, we're at the end, but I want to ask you one last question, and that is just your, your parting advice you would give either about how to survive a time that we're in right now, about if it feels better to talk about finding your voice, something that connects there, whatever comes to mind right now that you'd like to share as your final message. <laughs> no pressure. Well, <laughs> one thing is, it is such a hard time. It's like, if you're having a hard time now, hello, welcome. <laughs> like, if you're not, boy, tell me what to do. Like, this is a hard time. It's okay to be struggling, to be confused. Like, everywhere you turn, whether it's the pandemic or your job loss or your kids aren't in school, and what's it doing to the children? And will I get a vaccine? And will my job be there when I get? And what about Trump? And like, there's no, there's very little respite right now. So I would say, be so gentle on yourself. Be so forgiving. And of others too. My friends and I have constantly say to each other, now is not the time to be petty with each other. Mm -hmm. We're all at the edge of our capacity. So just like be as gentle with yourself and each other right now as possible. That would be, and patience. We're going to get through this. Well, of course, we're going to get through this. Everything's going to be different on the other side, but maybe better. Yeah. Maybe great. Maybe COVID, except for those terribly sad situations of all these people who have died, maybe it's an incredible gift. We don't know. Our brains are so puny. We don't know. So I say, when in doubt, choose the, the silver lining. Yeah. And maybe that mindset of gentleness and patience and compassion will continue and it'll just go on for, for time and we'll just change the general mood overall. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe so. It would. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. It's such a, a gift to be able to have this conversation with you. And I'm such a fan and so happy with just what you have to share with the world. And I'm glad that I 
found you. So thanks for being here. Thank you for finding me. And good luck with your beautiful work. Thank you so much. Jolie and I hope you have loved listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Clay in the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now. Bye.